your pastor's appreciation day today. And I'll be honest with you, after I heard the kids up here sing, I don't think I can top that, guys. That was really, really good, wasn't it? I mean, there's something about kids, yeah. My my soon-to-be four-year-old, Riley, and Christian did a great job. I really appreciate that introduction. Um, my soon-to-be four-year-old, Riley, uh, is downstairs kind of helping her little nine-month-old sister, Carson, in the nursery. She would have loved to have been up here. So my first thought was, this is the way I think now, record the kids for Riley. Riley's going to want to watch this as she goes to bed at night. She's going to want to watch it in the car. Basically, my iPhone will now be her iPhone. It kind of already is. But nonetheless, uh, she's got some great entertainment she doesn't even know about uh, when we go uh, head home this afternoon. But this day is a big day. I was brought up in... Uh, pastor's home. My dad is still the pastor of our church, Calvary Grace Assembly of God in La Plata, Maryland. His name is Tom Kogel. And the thing about this special day is that uh, I, I remember being uh, in services like this one as the congregation, as the deacon board, as just constituents like yourselves uh, honored him. And it meant a lot to me. You know, it, don't, it only means a lot to the pastors, but it means a lot to their families, their wives, their, their kids, um, because it's not just a one-man show in leading a church. It's a family affair. Uh, now, there are some pastors who are single, and God bless them, but, man, you need that support. I know my wife is tremendous to me. Uh, I wouldn't be here today without her, and, and I know uh, Pastor Stan and David can also relate to how their families have been there, been that rock for them. Um, before I get going, I want to thank uh, Shelly. She was uh, a great uh, Shelly Rogers, uh, just conversing back and forth with me in the last week, week and a half about today. Uh, she helped me out. We're getting ready to do something um, that I think you're going to enjoy to kind of kick off my message today uh, before I kind of get cracking into all the main points. And again, those kids were so good, it was almost like, all right, let's all go. Let's go eat now. You know, they did it. I mean, what they, what they sang was, was uh, really stirring. To my heart, something about those kids' voices. But what we want to do here in our message this morning is I want to uh, give you a chance to see. I think sometimes it's great to honor your pastor today, but it's also great to know the legacy of your church and the pastors that have been involved uh, here at building Rockville Assembly of God. So uh, without further ado, our uh, multimedia team is going to put up uh, our first slide. And what I want to do uh, whenever they're ready for that. What I want to do uh, on this Pastor uh, Appreciation Sunday is kind of go through the different uh, pastors, from the founding pastor all the way up to the present. Um, and we're going to go back a few slides from that, uh, all the way up to slide number one. Um, we have a lineage of the uh, Rockville Assembly of God pastors, um, and I'll just wait for their cue. But you've had uh, a total now with Pastor Stan Nelson, senior pastors of your church, five pastors. This church started in 1949, and uh, the founding pastor was Pastor Hubbard. Um, anyone around in 1949 and know Pastor Hubbard, please raise your hand. If you were, you, do you want to own up to it? No, I'm just kidding. Nonetheless, um, Pastor Hubbard was here 1949 to 1967. Uh, sometimes we go, well, Dallas, what's the big deal? This is about Pastor Nelson, Pastor Burdick, who's your youth pastor. But I think... You don't, you realize, you look at our country, you just don't get to where you're at now without people laying a foundation. Um, I think Pastor Appreciation Day is not only for your current pastors, it's for those who have gone on before you. 
Does it mean that maybe they were your favorite pastor? Does it mean that maybe if you were around back in the day that you loved them to death, but hopefully you supported them? Hopefully you loved them. Maybe not to death, but hopefully you loved them. And it, it, what it means is that you don't get here without the work they laid down, without the foundation they put in place. So Pastor Hubbard was here 1949 to 1967. Then from 1967 to 1973, we had Pastor Pittman. Pastor Pittman, anyone, if, 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 I thought we'd do a little informal survey. Anyone around in 67 to 70s, early 70s at the church? Any hands? Okay, all right, that's all right. 1973 to 1996, Pastor Willie Tatum. Now, anyone remember Pastor Willie Tatum? All right. I got a cool story for you. I promise you I'm not name dropping. You know those people who always say, oh yeah, I know him and her, and they're like all these celebrities, and you're like, you don't really know them. Uh, Pastor Willie Tatum, I always say in the Assemblies of God, and I'm growing, I'm a lifelong Assemblies of God. I, I, I grew up in the church. You know, they call kids gym rats. If they grow up in the gym, their dad's a coach. I'm a church rat. I hope that sounds... I grew up in the church. I've been around the block in the Assemblies of God, and I always say the older I get, there's no more than three degrees of separation in the Assemblies of God. There's What that means is like between you and somebody else in the Assemblies of God, there's probably no more than three people that can connect you. And you're going to think, I don't know about that, Dallas. If just stay in it for a while. Come to Rockville Assembly of God for a while. Get involved in the Men's Honor Bound Conference. Get involved with the youth conventions. Get involved with the ladies' activities, and you'll find this to be the case. Pastor Willie Tatum married my mom and dad. He was the uh, founding pastor of the home church that my family on both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, grew up in Colonial Heights Assembly of God down in southern Virginia, just south of Richmond. Uh, Pastor Willie and Donna Tatum are almost like a quasi-great uh, aunt and uncle to myself. So I, uh, I know them really well. In fact, when my dad first started in the ministry back in uh, the early 80s, mid-80s, he was pastoring a church in Appomattox, Virginia. Before he went there, Pastor Willie Tatum had my dad here in this building to sing. My dad used to sing and speak. So a lot of, uh, you'd be surprised how... I, I, I may be more familiar with your church and congregation than you think. And then we go to our next pastor. Pastor Willie Tatum was followed by Pastor Jack Sally, 1996 to 2003. Um, again, uh, Jack Sally uh, and his family I know pretty well because Pastor Jack Sally used to pastor down in Newport News before he came here. And his son and I were best buds growing up at Preacher's Kids Retreat. And his son and I, Nate Sally, were roommates at Evangel University. Um, I remember when Nate and I graduated in 1998, he said, yeah, my dad's up in Rockville pastoring, and I think Nate may have been here back in the day leading some praise and worship. Again, another connection there. It's amazing how, you know, they say if, you're, if, you, if you watch, if you're into celebrities in Hollywood, there's no more than six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. You ever heard that? Kevin Bacon has nothing on us lifelong assemblies of God. We got like three degrees of that of separation. And then we come to today, our current pastor, who's been here, your current pastor, who's been here since 2003, Pastor Stan Nelson. And I can just tell by the way you've honored him, Pastor David Burdick, your youth pastor, that you guys love your pastors. I can just tell. It comes out in just the way you honor him. I don't know that, you know, it's one thing to like your pastor, one thing to know that he's your pastor, you're going to support him. It's another thing to do what you guys have done today. Uh, just in, in the outpour of support through the kids. Kids can get across a message like nobody else, can they not? And so this is where we're at. So today, we call this Pastor Appreciation Sunday. And 
I think sometimes we throw that, you know, that's Pastor Appreciation Sunday, it's every October, and we throw that label around for a certain Sunday in October. I want to dig deep today, and I think you're going to enjoy this message, on why appreciate your pastor. If you're pa- and for you youth, you can associate this with Pastor Burdick, too. Um, for adults uh, who obviously interact with Pastor Burdick, you know, associate why appreciate Pastor Stan, Pastor Dave. What about them uh, makes them... Uh, someone you should appreciate. We're going to talk about that. I got five points that I think are, are, are ones that challenge me about the just the the significance of the pastor in your church and in your life. So we're going to hit that this morning. Uh, we're going to kind of uh, jump around in different scripture verses. So why appreciate your pastor? Why have a pastor appreciation day? Let me uh, start out with this. Uh, and, you, and I mentioned this last time I was here. I did a, a Olympics-based message in July on uh, pursuing gold. Uh, and we kind of, if you were here, we kind of did it around Michael Phelps' insane, like 6,000, 60 billion thousand calorie a day diet, and the guy can just swim it off. No big deal. If you were, you were here, you remember that. Well, I mentioned an illustration while I was here that Sunday. I, I like to go to the gym and work out. And I think sometimes past, this Pastor Appreciation Day, where you'll get my drift once I give you the story, can be like, my gym experiences two days this week, and I, I tell you, it was just one of those, those weeks where the brain wasn't quite working the way it needed to work. Now, hopefully it won't show in this message, okay? And if it does, just, just amen me and make me feel good, all right? Even if you're like, oh, my gosh, he's lost it. Hopefully that won't happen. But I go to the gym, and, and you know, the, the cold weather starting to blow in this week. You know, it's fall, and, um, you know, we had the nice kind of late summer weather, comfortable weather, but all of a sudden... This week, we're starting to get those 40-degree temps at night, and, and, and the highs is only in the 50s or 60s, so when the sun goes down, it gets cool. So on Monday, I had to wear a jacket to the gym. Now, when I get to the gym, my usual uh, regimen is to go ahead and hang the keys up on this, like, hook board they have. Well, I have my jacket with me, and I'm a creature of habit, so I usually hang my keys up on this one hook that's always open uh, near the treadmills of my gym, and I happen to go in this week. And because I had my jacket on, I put my keys in my pocket and hung the jacket up uh, on the hook beside that normal hook. I don't know why I did that. I should have just hung it up on my regular key hook. So I was done with my gym experience, and I decided, time to go. Um, I picked up my jacket, saw the keys on the hook that I usually put my keys on, grabbed my keys, and I'm headed on out, right? And as I'm headed on out, I was getting ready to text my wife to let her know I'm headed out to go home. And I, as I look at my phone, I'm looking, and I, this keychain. Unless I bought this and don't remember the keychain and these set of like 10 keys that I'm realizing I don't have that car and I've never used that key. All of a sudden, I'm about out the door and I realize I have someone's set of keys in my hand. And it dawned on me, I didn't put my keys this time on the key hook. I put them in my pocket. So I got my own set and I've got someone else's set of keys. And then I'm thinking, my goodness, someone has watched me. They think I'm getting ready to like go off with their car. They're, they're, they're right now calling 911. I'm going to, you know, be confronted by the cops or something like this as I'm out in the parking lot. So you're, uh, yours truly tries to play it smooth. I instantly just turn around, walk back in the gym, acting like I was supposed to be back there, even though I got my coat on, I'm ready to go. And I'm looking around, I'm, knowing, I'm noticing no one's his, he's got hysteria going on that this stranger has grabbed their keys. And I gently placed it on the hook. Look around. Okay, good. So I made my exit. And as I was thinking... Man, I've never done that. Grab someone else's keys. And then on top of that, I'm thinking how easy it could have been just to head on out to the car. And, and, and literally, if I wasn't paying attention, talking to Megan or, or texting her, slide those keys in a pocket, and I'm, I'm using my regular keys, and I could have taken one off. 
forgetful moment number one. As soon as I get home, I told Megan, and uh, I'm like, that, that's crazy. I can't believe I took someone's keys. The next day, the next day I'm going to the gym, and I don't know what happened to me when I was getting ready. That day I, was, I showered before I went to the gym. I was working from home and decided apparently not to put deodorant on. Not to put deodorant on before, and I always do that. It's like I'm deodorant 101 guy. Because I realized it when I was working out in the gym that, man, you know, God bless everyone. We always hope we use proper hygiene. Someone around me smelleth not goodeth. But there's no one around me. You know, like, it's, I can kind of smell this. It wasn't like awful smell because I wasn't breaking a big sweat, but just not fresh, you know? And I'm running. There's no one here, no one there. And I'm running. And then it hit me. That's me that smelleth not goodeth. If you do it in the King James, you feel better about yourself. King James Version, that is. So, I had, there was a dollar store right next to my gym, and I ran over there, quickly got a dollar's worth of deodorant. It smelled like it was only a dollar, too, but at least it did the job. It did it much better than my natural juices, God bless me, were doing it. Put that on, emergency deodorant, got home, made the workout work. But as I was thinking, when I was coming up with this, it's so easy. My forgetful moments. I don't know if I'm a senior, having senior moments or what. I'm 36, and man. It was just not good for the brain Monday and Tuesday, carrying someone else's keys out and then not wearing deodorant for whatever that's worth. Um, it's easy sometimes to either forget about Pastor Appreciation Day or sometimes take it for granted. Today we want to make sure you don't have a moment here, and I don't think you will like I had going to the gym not once but twice this week. It's important not only to honor your pastors today on Pastor Appreciation Day, but to honor them throughout the year. You know, it's sometimes when we talk about the Christmas message, we're not just celebrating Christmas on December 25th, are we? But Christ, the newborn King, has come. And because He's come, we have hope. We can live forever. You know, it's Christmas, I love, you know, it's not just for that day or that season of the year, it's for our whole year. Keep that in mind with Pastor Appreciation Day. Pastors do so much uh, that goes under the radar uh, that you can't possibly pay them for. It's just part of the job. And they work in... Uh, I know this is not a news alert, but a non-profit organization. It's not like you can say, well, if we can sell a few more church pews, we can pay our pastor a little bit more. You know, you're not really selling stuff off to raise your profit margin. So, you know, it's more than what they make, too. It's, uh, it's your support. It's your encouragement. So we're going to talk about that. Why appreciate your pastor? I'm going to ask you to turn our first point. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I know you probably have heard of this verse of Scripture before. If not... We're going to give you a quick little education in it on why I appreciate your pastor. Uh, number one, you don't have a pastor, you don't have equipping, and you don't have training. Church members, church constituents, churchgoers, you, it's hard to get trained, it's hard to be equipped without a pastor. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, we'll start there, it was he who gave some to be apostles, and this is Paul writing to a church just like yours, but this church happened to be over in Ephesus during the New Testament time. So it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's word, or I'm sorry, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 then we will no longer be, 
and we're going to talk about this in just a second, infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him uh, who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds up itself in love as each part does its work. You know, there are several roles mentioned here by Paul in this verse of Scripture, or in this passage of Scripture. We hear about the apostles. They had their duty. Apostles had a leading role in establishing the church uh, as leaders who, took, who looked to uh, make their influence in the marketplace and in the culture around them. That's kind of the primary role of the apostles back then. They were heavily in, in, uh, influencing the, uh, the, the culture, the workplace, the marketplace, where you work, uh, going in there, setting up God's kingdom in places that you wouldn't think were conventional places like churches to do so. Then you had prophets, people to whom God made known a message for his people for, uh, that was appropriate to their particular need or situation. Certainly visions and uh, future uh, visions of the future and events came to pass through the gifting of a prophet. Anyone here know about the book of Isaiah, right? Remember, Isaiah foretold the Christ child being born. Remember, he was a prophet. He's one of the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. Then we get to evangelists. They're gifted people that help the church grow through a couple of fancy words of edification and augmentation. What is augmentation and edification? Well, we lift things up when we edify and we increase in size when we augment. So that's the evangelist role. But then we get to what Paul mentioned, the pastors and teachers role. And this is where I think we have to to really get an understanding of, of, of how appreciative we should be of our pastor. It's referred to, pastors are referred to as those leaders in the church that care for God's people through providing food from scriptures by way of teaching. The image that Paul was getting at was the shepherd with his flock. I think we've heard that over and over again. But if you have no shepherd, you've just got a flock that's kind of running amok, that's kind of scattered, that's not organized, that doesn't really have an idea of how to eat, how to get its food. That's what your pastors are here for. You see, sometimes I think we can easily get caught up in the politics of the church. Well, the pastor wants green carpet and I want blue carpet. And man, those seat cushions need to be replaced on the pews. And we forget that that's not the main role of the pastor. That's a subsidiary role if the pastor wants to do that. Or the pastors can be real slick and appoint a committee. Don't you love that? That's what pastors do. You know, when they want to... Well, we've got to deal with uh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, and God bless them, they're great, but you know, they're not happy with how we're doing this, so let's just appoint a committee, and you've know, got to go out and find someone to lead that committee up. Or sometimes the pastor has to deal with it. But the pastor's main role is feeding his flock through Scripture, equipping and training you. And can I give you some insight and some advice if you're a churchgoer regular or maybe you're a first-time attender with your pastors? Don't look to always scrutinize everything they do and say. Look to be trained and equipped. When you are looking to bet, look, when you go away to, when you're in middle school, high school, college, maybe you go to a training school, I guarantee you a lot of you who have jobs here today can say maybe it wasn't because you had a certain degree, but what you learned in school is helping you somewhere today in your job. Maybe you have, maybe you're, you went to school and to law school and you're a lawyer. You went to medical school and you're a doctor. Did it mean that everything your professor said, everything the teachers taught, you loved and cherished and agreed with? Maybe not. Maybe you didn't like their personality. Maybe they were too hard on you in tests. You know that teacher that throws you the pop quiz the first day of school and you're like, 
What is that? We just came off a summer break. They need to relax, you know? But my point is that you learn something. They equipped you. They trained you. That's what your pastors are here for. Sometimes Satan is real crafty. He wants to get you bent out of shape about something, and he gets you off what your main focus should be, coming to church to be trained and equipped by them. They are called by the Lord to do that. Verse 12, preparing God's people for works of service doesn't mean, though, that the pastor does all the work in the local church himself. He trains his people. Training and equipping means you have to take ownership of your church. As a youth director at at, at Revive Youth Ministries uh, at our church, one of the biggest challenges for me is to teach our youth how to take ownership of our youth group. It's not all about me. It's not all, I, in fact, the older I get, and maybe it's just a sign of me getting old, I don't want to be always up in front in our youth group. I'm looking for kids who say, Dallas, I want to give my testimony. I want to play a song. I want to uh, do something special uh, in front of the other kids. Or maybe it's not in front of them. I want to lead a, a, a group in prayer during Wednesday night uh, youth service. You see, I want them to take ownership, just like your pastor's. It's the equipping and training doesn't really mean much if you're not taking the equipping and training and applying it to your practical life. If you, and, and I see today you've got people in your church. I don't think you, you, you carry out the service the way you have unless people have taken ownership, right? You, you have that. You're blessed. But this isn't just for those people who were up here today or those people who prepared the service or planned it today. This is for all of you. You're missing out if you're not applying the nuggets of truth that your pastor gives you every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. If you go on a conference with your... It's not just about him being up here or in the youth room. It's also talking to him one-on-one. Glean insight. Be a sponge with your pastor. It's not always about when they're up here in front of the podium teaching you and training you. You can get trained and taught and equipped. One-on-one conversation. Take them out to eat. Invite them over to your house. You'd be surprised how much you can learn from a, a conversation that's not in a formal sense, per se, but yet there's great expertise, great insights that come out of that. So, we, learn, we see that in verse uh, 12. It's not just for the pastor to do everything. Verse 13, and, and I want to harp on this. It says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, a common... A common understanding in becoming mature is you take on the character of Christ. That's what, there's nothing that will make your pastor more delighted in you as a church is if you're unified through the character of Christ. Because Satan's number one goal for this church is to divide and conquer. It's to get you guys split up, get you guys kind of caught up in the politics or what's going on. Maybe you don't have that problem. Maybe that's just other churches that have that problem. But you know what? If you don't have that problem, Satan's after you. Satan's not after people that he's already kind of defeated. He's after people that he can bring down. And he does it through simplistic things. When your mind is on being trained and equipped, you'll find that your mind doesn't get caught up in all the nitpicky things. Does it mean that you don't have an argument if something's not quite right? No. But there's a way to handle that. When you're trained and equipped properly, you'll go to your pastor in love and respect and in honor and dignity. And you'll ask him, talk to him about certain things. Not say, this doesn't change, I'm out of here type of mentality. Equipping and training through, through the scripture that your pastor gives each day, through his sermons that he puts together, his messages that he puts together, is, uh, is so, so important. Um, one thing that uh, we're going to do in just a second, 
uh, is show a video because uh, I want to show a quick video clip um, to kind of give you an illustration of verse 14 about how when we're allowing ourselves to be groomed by our pastor, to, to eat on the nuggets of Scripture and the nuggets of his messages each week, how we grow spiritually. And, and Paul referred to it as we're no longer infants. We're no longer tossed and turned. As soon as they have that up, this is a, a home video, 50 seconds long. Uh, stick with it. You'll see the point of it. Uh, from back in 2009, we had the big blizzard in our area. Ellie, okay. we're off. We're going to do some cross-country sleigh riding. Come on, girl. Let's do it. Woo! Oh, no. She hits that turn. No big deal. Hit another turn. No big deal. Here we go. We're going to make the turn. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> She's pretty tough. Hey, Riley, did you get a mouthful of snow? Daddy got too cocky. <laughs> okay, I'm still recording. All right, we're going to resume the sled ride. Here we go. All right. Thanks, wife, for the uh, chuckles. That was good. Um, that is my one-year-old. My, she was four. She's four now, going to be four at the end of this month. That was her back when she had just turned one. Do you see how easy she just flipped out of the sled? You see? And, and she wasn't even an infant. Infants usually two, three, four, five months. That right there is you when you're not getting properly fed and equipped and trained spiritually. You will easily get flipped by, and let me tell you something. The world you live in, it's really no worse than it was back in Paul's day. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. Uh, but there are so many false teachings out there. And they're not just outside the church, they're inside the church. And when you're not coming to your, to your church to get fed, and, and can I also advise you on something? Don't do the church hop thing. You'll confuse yourself. You'll be just like my, my uh, one-year-old there. You'll be flipping out of your sled of life real easy. Now, I guess I was... Satan or the evil one, you know, the illustration of dragging my little one along. I played that part well. Here's the deal. Satan doesn't care how many church services you go to. He just doesn't want you fed. He doesn't want you equipped. He doesn't want you trained. If you come here and sit here and stew about not agreeing with this, that, and the other, he's fine with that. In fact, he'll, he'll encourage you. Keep going. Because then I can use you to maybe divide the church. And I know, I'm looking out, I know you guys are, are loving church folks. Have a heart to be fed. You'll see it'll do wonders in your Christian walk, and that's how you appreciate your pastor. Number two, we're going to go over to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to stay in Exodus for the rest of the message. Exodus chapter 13, in verses 20, we're going to go from verse 20 to Exodus chapter 14. In verse 14, if you have no pastor, you have no vision. If you have no pastor, you have no vision for your church, for your ministry group, the youth ministry the same way, and even for your Christian walk. And we're going to talk about this in just a second. Because you're going to say, well, Dallas, are you saying that God can't give me a vision for my life? And I, doesn't God speak to me first? Well, let, 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 let's talk about that in just a second. Those are great questions. Maybe you're thinking that now. Just don't walk out on me. I promise you we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 20, starts like this. And this is 
the Israelites were getting, were building up to the Red Sea moment. One of the greatest miracles. You know, they're, all of them are great. But th- this one is one that I, as a little kid, just stuck with me. We've seen the Bible story uh, pictures of that sea dividing. This leads up to that. And it goes like this. After leaving Succoth, this is the Israelites, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to, re- to turn back and encamp near pi Haharoth. I'm probably butchering that, but nonetheless you see it. Between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Bel Zaphon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. That's important. Keep that in mind. We're going to move on. Verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the Israelites and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt and officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Haharoth, opposite Baal Zaphon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us say to you in Egypt, I'm sorry, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, check this out, than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Tremendous vision. Uh, I'm reminded uh, great uh, people in our culture over time, what they've had to say about visions in the future. Uh, John Scully, former CEO of Pepsi and Apple Computer, said the future belongs to those who see possibilities before they become obvious. Uh, The great pastor Charles Swindoll out of Texas said, when you have vision, it affects your attitude. Your attitude is optimistic rather than pessimistic. Pessimistic. Uh, Michelangelo, profound quote here, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but is that our aim is too low and we reach it. Even Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, I think you know this, the people what? Perish. And Thomas Edison took it a step further when he said, vision without execution is really hallucination. You see, what the Israelites were going through there is what I think a lot of people in churches can go through. And that is, they were seeing their current circumstances for what they were. They lacked that supernatural vision 
that a leader of God brings. You see, Moses there, could have, he, he was following God's command every step of the way as they were going out of Egypt. Remember, they served Pharaoh and the Egyptians, so they were out of there. And he was trying to uh, follow the Lord's uh, commands, and sometimes we don't always understand God, do we? It's amazing what a man of God, a pastor, a teacher can do in kind of calming our heart, saying, just, just stay firm, just stand still. Don't do too much. God is working on your behalf. Maybe some of you have had that in your own life, where it's, uh, stuff doesn't make sense. I've got obstacles coming my way with the Israelites. You had the Egyptians coming their way, and, and then they were told to camp in the desert. You know, if you, if you ever hung out in the desert, it's not really a great camping site, you know. Uh, I think the mountains beat the desert. Um, maybe you could uh, go down to the lake that beats the desert. So they're not in a great spot. And so they begin to second guess. You see, you can say all you want. Well, God, I'm a good Christian, Dallas. Uh, I've been coming into Rockville, similar to God, for some odd years, some odd months. I know God uh, has a call on my heart, has a, has a plan of attack for my life. But can I tell you, you need your pastor's? Uh, prayers, you need his guidance, you need his insight. Because God has equipped your pastor in a way, that's the reason he's a pastor of the church, that he hasn't equipped you in that spiritual gifting. You see, there's a difference between the shepherd and his flock, right? You have the sheep that, that uh, obviously are cute little fuzzy characters, but without, without a shepherd guiding them, confusion takes place. They only can look and see things, but, but you know, as far as their natural eyes go. They can't See, that, that, that supernatural uh, guidance that comes from the Lord, and that's where your pastor comes into play. I would advise you, you're going through a rough time in your personal life. Maybe a relationship, a marriage is, is not right. Maybe your job is just not, you need a job, or the one you're on, you don't feel like you're in the right calling of God. Go talk to your pastor. Your pastor can help you in so many ways. doesn't mean your pastor does all the work and you just sit back on cruise control. All right, pastor. All right, I'm going to snap my fingers and work your magic. That's not what it's about. You see, what it's about is having that encouragement, like Moses gave him. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You see, a lot of times uh, when we get uh, frustrated in our walks and when, as, ch- as, as church goers in our, in our local churches, when we begin to feel like God's not moving, we kind of want to go back to where we were at before. We kinda, it's the easy way out. It's the comfort zone effect, right? Where, you know... Uh, maybe God's called you to be up here uh, to do praise and worship, and you just don't feel like uh, Dallas. I just don't. I just don't have that that gifting. I thought I could sing. I thought I could play. I thought I thought I could help out the praise and worship team. It's just not going right for me. Go talk to your pastor. Go talk to uh, your your person in leadership at your church, Pastor Stan, Pastor David. Don't just allow yourself to get so frustrated that you, I'm going to give up this calling. I, you know, I feel it's there, but I'm just going to go back to sitting in my pew and not getting involved in your church. That's what the Israelites wanted to do. They were willing, check this out, to go back to Egypt to serve. They said, why'd you bring us out here to die? We'd have been better off just hanging out in Egypt and dying there. That's how you can get, even as well-intentioned Christians, we can get kind of at this place of, I just don't see the light. Hence your pastor. Your pastor has been gifted. You know, God doesn't just call people to churches just because, well, Pastor Sandy wears a nice blue shirt. He's got, he looks good in the tie and dress pants. Let's let him be your pastor. You know, Pastor Stan, Pastor David, they have a passion to see you reach your full potential. They have a passion to see you uh, shine the love of God to your unsaved family and friends. 
So they have a vision that they can shine on you, not only for the church, but for you as, as, as a church constituent that can really encourage you, that can really give you that support you need. Because we do get down. You know what? I can give you another little insight. Your pastor gets down sometimes. Sometimes you have to reverse that. You have to encourage him. He's not Superman. I know Pastor Dave and Pastor Stan can rip off their shirt and you see that big S, right? You guys want to do that now? Or what? No. Okay. So they're not Superman. There's, yeah. They'll do it in the dinner today. No. Here's the deal. There's times when the recursion has to go in, in reciprocation. But I can tell you, if you're not going forward in your Christian walk, your vision isn't there. And you need to lean on your pastor's vision, especially for your church. You know, at best case scenario, worst case scenario, if you have no vision, you're repeating yesterday's mistakes. And best case scenario, if you have no vision, you're kind of regurgitating yesterday's blessings. We want fresh blessings, fresh anointing as your, for your church, for your ministry. You don't want to just be, well, God, He, uh, you know, He, He saved me and healed me uh, ten years ago. I love that, but it's not your relationship with God is not about ten years ago. I don't care how greatly you were touched at this altar. What's going on in your life today? Vision, vision, vision. Moses knew God was going to do something great, did he not? We hadn't even gotten to the Red Sea. This is pre, uh, precluding the Red Sea. Moses knew if he did not steer them with the vision God had given him, there may not be a Red Sea moment. They may have just succumbed to the Egyptians right there. Let's go over to uh, our third point. Our third point. No pastor, no righteous rebuke. Ooh, man, now we're getting dicey, right? It's getting hot and heavy in here. No righteous rebuke. The pastor didn't set me up to, to say this so I could do some dirty work. No, we're not going to rebuke anyone publicly or, or privately today. But there is a need, can I tell you this, for all of us to sometimes be rebuked righteously. Rebuking is reprimanding. Stern, harsh reprimand. But pastors are called to do it righteously. To do a rebuke that is best for your Christian walk as a church and as an individual. Sometimes we don't like that. Our pride gets in the way. I've had it, I'll never forget, uh, I've had it not only by... Uh, in the church, but I, you were church leaders growing up. But I've had, I remember in school, sixth grade, I'll never forget, and I'm 36, so this has been about over 20 years ago. I was 11 years old, 25 years ago, and I was a huge football, baseball card collector. I mean, I had the, I'm big into sports, I had the album, like 500 cards, and every day in sixth grade, my buddies and I would go into uh, our elementary school, sixth grade was an elementary school back in Virginia, and we would trade cards. You know, this is where you, know, you get real cunning with each other. Trade cards uh, during our lunch hour. And as long as we kept that album of cards underneath our desk, we had the old wooden desk, you know, computers. This is the dark ages of the 80s. Computers, self, the Internet wasn't created. So, you know, this is old school. This is where, you know, it got real good. So we had this old wooden desk, and then we had to go up underneath. And I remember one day I left because I was sick. Uh, I came down with the flu, and... I forgot to take my album of like 500 cards home. And I didn't even, I was so sick, didn't even realize it till that night before I went to bed. And I told my mom and dad, oh my goodness, uh, I don't have my album. Because I would take it, I was going to go to school the next day. I went home early the pre, that, that, that current day, and I was going to get it ready to take to school. I was all gunned up, geared up rather to get there. Well, I got to school the next day. My buddies came up to me and said, Mrs. Turner threw your cards in the trash can, threw the whole album away. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
threw the whole album away. Oh yeah, it's it's gone. And, and they were they were acting as if they were eyewitnesses of it. So I I couldn't I don't even I probably didn't focus one bit that day. I remember going home telling mom and dad, Miss Turner threw all my baseball and football. You know I'm like crying and whatnot, tears are running down my face. And they had to have a you know they do parent teacher conferences every quarter or whatever. So my parents were going anyways. And they said Dallas will ask her. So lo and behold, my parents went in, and I stood outside the classroom, and I'll never forget wondering how it was going to go. I'm thinking maybe I'll peek in through the window of the door and see, like, explosions going on. My parents are, like, bopping her here and hitting her there. I'd do that to my, my uh, son's uh, album of cards. But nothing happened, no fireworks, no explosions. And as I, as I was waiting, they came out, and they were smiling. I'm, I'll never forget seeing a smile on my mom's face. And I go, so what? I'm like, so what happened with Miss Turner? And they said, well, Dallas, tomorrow morning when you go to school, you just need to ask her for your card. She's got them behind the desk. She says the reason that, she, she took, that they weren't there is because she had told you guys at the beginning of the school year that if you bring them, you have to clean them up because the custodians will throw them away. So in essence, my teacher saved me, right? It taught me a lesson. Miss Turner wasn't going to give me the album because she knew I didn't take it home. I was sick. But had she not picked it up, maybe the, you know, maybe the custodians wouldn't have thrown it away. But she knew, she was teaching me a lesson. I needed to do something called, a fancy word called communication. Ask her for my photo album of cards. I did that the next day, and the joy was like Christmas Day in like February. I mean, I was in love with Miss Turner at that point. She had my football and baseball cards, but I learned a great lesson. I got rebuked. Miss Turner said, Dallas, next time, you wouldn't have gone through all these hoops and hurdles. I remember, it wasn't quite that, but she gave me... A nice rough man, just ask me for the cards or ask me for what you forgot. We'll make sure it doesn't get thrown away, personal possessions. I learned a lesson of communication that day. She was a great teacher. Love Miss Turner. Your pastor does the same thing. We'll read in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. We're going to flip over a couple of, uh, of verses or a couple chapters. Keep in mind, this is after the Red Sea miracle. Okay? Man, us Christians, we can be so crazy, can't we? You know, God can do great things in our lives and it doesn't take but a day or two or three or a week or two or three, you know, we had a Red Sea moment and then we're kind of back to questioning God. This is what happened with the Israelites. See, the Israelites are no different than you. It goes like this. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. We're in chapter 17 of Exodus. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is Lord among us or not? Clearly, Moses is not too thrilled with the mindset and the attitude of the old Israelites here. Got through a Red Sea miracle, and uh, now you're questioning God. Now, go with me here. 
If God can take a huge sea and, se- and take waters, kind of ironic we're talking water here, and separate, I mean, have you ever seen, a, this, the Red Sea, I, I think, I haven't completely uh, researched this out, I think it's bigger than the Potomac River, okay? So, if, could you imagine the Potomac River just dividing where the Woodrow Wilson Bridge or the American Legion Bridge is? is it, you know, the Legion Bridge, I guess is what it's called, and, and you just started trucking down on dry ground? Could you imagine that? They had that with the Red Sea. Like, that didn't just happen in fairy tale land. That really happened. And then you go from that miracle to Moses. What's up with God? We're thirsty. I mean, that takes some audacity, does it not? To start questioning God and Moses, your leader. Moses had to do a little rebuking. He got on him. In fact, he got on him so much, he goes, Man, God, they might stone me if you don't come through here. They're kind of upset and I had to get on I was questioning him on why their, their attitudes weren't in place. I thought what would illustrate this, and uh, we're headed toward a conclusion, would be a clip uh, from the movie Facing the Giants on how righteous rebuking that Moses did to the Israelites. You saw the miracle was performed. And how if you'll, my teacher did this to me, if how you'll allow your pastor to sometimes reprimand you in a righteous way for your betterment, for God to get the glory how it can be the best thing for you. And I believe we're ready. Oh, So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? Well, how strong we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, bro? Well, not if I knew we could beat them. Come here, bro. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawling here, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. you going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. It's going to be a good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. 
There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. You're very bad. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm by out of strength. Then you negotiate with your buddy to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. You not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. You're back! Don't stop! Keep going! Too hard! It's not too hard! You keep going! Come on, Brock! Give me more! Give me more! Keep going! Twenty more steps! Twenty more! Keep going, Brock! Give me your back! Don't quit! No! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Brock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! Go, Brock Kelly! You don't quit on me! No! You keep going! You keep going! Go, Brock! Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your heart! You can! You can! Five more! Five more! Come on, Brock! Come on! Don't quit! Don't quit! Come on, Brock! Two more! One more! I can't do this, I can't do this anymore. Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field in your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Kurt? Can I count on you? Yes. Kurt? What is it, Jeremy? I want everyone sixty. Some of us need a death crawl rebuke from our pastor, from our youth pastor, and it's for our betterment. Brock had a defeated attitude, did he not? He thought there's no way, and if you've watched Facing the Giants, a great inspirational movie, a faith-based movie, about how a high school team, through, through godly concepts, overcomes great opponents that they thought they never had a chance to beat, shouldn't even be on the field with. And it started with that scene right there. Inspirational scene, not just because he was supposed, he thought he couldn't even go to the 30 and he did a blindfold of the whole field, but I loved how the coach, that's your pastor, don't give up on me. Don't do it. 
Your attitude makes or breaks this team. It works the same way with you guys. If your pastor has ever had to come to you and righteously rebuke you, you need to thank him. You need to embrace him. He's doing the best thing for you. He's doing the best thing for this church. I can tell you in my youth group, I've had to do this a couple times, and, it, and I've, I've done this uh, 12 years, and it's been in the last couple years, and both young ladies that I had to do it just forced my hand. I mean, forced it to a degree I had no choice with their attitudes. But I saw great things that they could do for our youth group. They were leaders in our youth group. They had leadership ability. You don't righteously rebuke someone you don't, that, that you don't feel great potential is within them. It's a compliment to you. It is an absolute compliment. It doesn't feel like one in the moment, but your pastor sees stuff in you, and he wants you to reach your potential, and he doesn't want you to fall short. Because just think, if your pastor says you have great influence and your attitude, if it's a negative one, can affect the whole church, that's a compliment to you. That means you're a, a contagious person. Imagine if you flip that attitude the other way, what you can do for this church, how you can lead this church in such great ways alongside your pastor. God, Moses knew the Israelites. They're, people, they're God's children. He knew they had great things in store, and he was disgusted that they would allow themselves to quarrel with him and to second-guess the God they served. He just did a, that you know, little Red Sea miracle a couple chapters before. You see, righteously rebuking is a compliment to you because your pastor wants you to live the victorious, blessed life. He wants the church to be blessed. We're going to move on to number four. Number four, no pastor, no victory. Just as simple as that. Every church has to have a pastor. Every youth ministry needs a youth pastor. Every children's ministry, if you, sometimes we don't have what we call a children's pastor. We need someone to lead that because those ministries won't see victory unless you have a leader leading the way, obeying God's will, his ear right next to God's voice. For the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase, but we're going to look in Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. This right here is the Red Sea moment. It all comes down to this. Moses was required in these verses. A lot of us know it. Uh, I'd love to read it, but I, I don't want to hold you over. Moses was required to hold a staff out over the Red Sea. Sometimes we think you just kind of throw it out there and all right, water. It was all night. It says in verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You see, the reason you don't have victory in your life is maybe, maybe you haven't come under the auspices or the authority of your pastor. Now, I believe Rockville Assembly of God has done that. But we hear about that in other churches where divisions are happening or, or maybe things are, are a little not right in, within the church. You need your pastor to have victory in the church. You want to see your ministries flourish. You want to see souls come to God. You want to see your altar time really be a place where lives are changed. You've got to have a, a pastor leading the way. The pastor is the one that hears the word for the church from the Lord. Mo, think about this. God could have separated those seas in any way, shape, or fashion. He could have just said, let it happen, like he did in Genesis. You know? 
it, I you know, create the skies, I create the animals, I create it. You know, he could have just done it like that, but he required the leader to do something. That's why your pastor is important. God will require your pastor, and I know Pastor Nelson and Pastor Burdick are, are guys that want to come through humility under the headship of the Lord and do what the Lord requires so this church can thrive, so this church can see miracles happen. And, and Moses stretched his hand over that sea all night long. It's such a perfect example of pastor sacrificing. There are things that go on in this church that you'll never really see. Your, your, your pastor standing in the gap all night long, your youth pastor doing the same for the youth ministry, that you'll get to your service time and you'll just think, it just kind of happened. The message just kind of created itself. It doesn't. Your pastor is doing work behind the scenes to make that happen. And it says, not only did he have to do it then, but the Red Sea miracle wasn't complete. It says the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. And this is in verse 25. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, again, Pastor's work is never done, right? Moses, I need you again. Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Don't you love it? When God ordains you to have victory, you have victory. You know what I mean? I'm like a huge football fan, and there's nothing worse. Um, I'm a Cowboy fan. Okay. No booze yet. May have some amens. There's nothing worse than when my Cowboys, I feel like they dominated the game, which hasn't happened in a few weeks, but we don't need to get into that. And they are only up a field goal. And the other team that they've dominated can tie it up and send it in overtime. There's nothing worse than that. What I love about God is if y'all are a football team and, you're, and you've got your pastor and you're, you're obeying his leadership, God destroys the competition. There is no question of overtime. That's the way God does business. And the competition is those principalities of darkness, the evil one. It's not non-Christians, by the way. Non-Christians are who you should have a passion and love for. You should expect non-Christians to act like non-Christians. That's why they need God in their life. That's why you are in their mission field, in their marketplace. They're not the enemy. Satan is. And when God commands victory, it's final. We saw it right here. So Moses stretches his hands out over the sea, and the Egyptians were fleeing away from it. They knew God was involved. And the Lord swept them into the sea. The water swept them, or the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall. This is verse 29 of water on the right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The beauty of a pastor. You can put your trust in him. Because you never have victory until you have obedience. They go hand in hand. Your pastors are called to be obedient to the will of God. And when they are obedient, you win. You have victory. That victory can be in a whole gamut of different arenas. It could be growth in your church. It could be to see the missionette program, the children's programs, just burst with life. Uh, it could be to see the Royal Rangers, the youth group, lives saved. It could be maybe relationships 
have gone awry in the church or in personal lives in the church, and all of a sudden we're seeing relationships get mended. Don't underestimate the victory God can have in this church because you have a pastor who's willing to be totally obedient to God. Last thing, and we're going to end on this. No pastor, no church unity. No pastor, no church unity. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 15. This is the story of Moses when Aaron and her or Ur, however you want to pronounce it, lifted his arms up. Remember that story, I'm going to paraphrase it in chapter 17, where Joshua fighting the Amalekites, as Moses had ordered, Joshua and his men, and and it says that in verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, as he looked over that battle, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, this is Aaron and Ur, and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. That's just a perfect picture of the church. Like I said, it can't be a one-man show. It can't be all about what your pastor does. Well, no souls got saved. Uh, you know, the message was a little this, that, or the other. Uh, the church doesn't seem like he's got a life. What's wrong with the pastor? Uh-uh. No pastor, no church unity. So, you've got your pastor in place. You've got your youth pastor in place. What you have to do is come along each side of him. Lift him up. Allow, you know, what I loved about Moses is one, you know, Aaron on one side, Ur on the other. He was kind of the bridge between them both, wasn't he? That's really what a pastor does in a lot of situations with church unity, is he provides that bridge between families that feel connected. You know, when you come to a church where you feel connected, you can actually feel as close to your church uh, family as you do your regular family. And you say, oh, it's just kind of coincidence. No, it's the blood of Christ. We're all redeemed through the same blood. We say blood's thicker than water. How about Christ's blood? How thick is that? And when you bring that kind of mentality into a church... It just blossoms. And there's such a love. I love it when people come to our church and I sense it in your church and they say there's just something about your church. The people are so friendly. That's not by coincidence. But your pastor has to be in the middle of it. And you have to raise him up. And you have to support him. A church that doesn't support their pastor is a church that doesn't support each other. You're all on the same team. And that's the beauty of appreciating your pastor. That's the beauty of realizing that Pastor Appreciation Day is way more, and these are great, than cards and gifts and taking him out and patting him on the back and saying thank you. It's way more than that, even though those are extremely important. As we close, I'd like to ask Pastor Nelson, Pastor Burdick, if they would come up. I think this would be in their families that are here with them, and maybe stand right here. And if any of the praise and worship team want to want to maybe play something soft, I think it would be so appropriate if we kind of had a, a Moses and, and Ur moment where we lift them up. Uh, I think it would be great if uh, who, uh, you guys who are maybe altar workers or you're used to praying, if you would just come and maybe uh, stand around them and maybe lay a hand on them. I, you know, sometimes pastors, when they do altar calls, they don't always, they do it for you guys. And I think Pastor Appreciation Sunday should be for them. It's one of those kind of return flip moments where we, we want to pray for them. So 